because uh, we're just going to talk through it. So quickly look through it. So when I begin to talk, well, you're not ahead of me, okay? This may not be the best way to do it, but this is the way we're going to do it, right? So just take a quick look, and I'll give you a minute to do that. I want to thank you for the privilege of being here, and thank you, worship team. Y'all do a great job. I love to worship with you. Really do. And while you're looking at over, I want to say something. You know, some of you come to a conference like this, and all you do is just get on the bus and arrive. Pay your fee and get here. And you have no idea what it took to put this together. The untold hours that people like Aaron and Neil and all the team have put together to serve you and the worship team. They didn't just, you know, get up here and that's it. I mean, they had to practice. They had to know what's going on. And uh, <clears throat> we're going to be talking tonight about servanthood, okay? So maybe you've seen enough of it. To, let's try to stay together so we're on the first page. You want to be more like Jesus? Well, then be a servant. Mark 10, 45. And this is one of the verses I'd highly recommend if you don't have memorized that you do that. For even the Son of Man, that's Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. I mean, Jesus came and served even to the point of death, okay? Now, the world sees serving as a lowly task. Usually, uh, it's usually associated with uh, servanthood, associated with low education, low prestige, and low income. And it's not seen as a position to be sought. So I'm not talking to you tonight about a position I'm talking to you about an attitude, the attitude of being a servant. Jesus stated he came to serve. He left heaven to come to this earth to serve his Father and to serve us. He went out of his way to serve people. We see this all through the scriptures. You see it with a centurion slave. Man came to him and said, my slave is dying. Uh, would you come? Or in uh, uh, so Jesus started on his way. And the servant sent word and said, you, you don't need to come unto my house. I'm not even worthy to, for you to come under my roof. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. And Jesus was so amazed at his faith. He said, I've not found such great faith in all of Israel. But Jesus was on his way to serve that man. And he did. He healed that man's slave. You see it with Jesus going to raise this, this dead girl. They came and this little girl had died and wanted, Jesus, would you come and raise her? And so Jesus goes out of his way, stops whatever he's doing, goes his way and raises that little girl from the dead. <clears throat> you know, it's interesting to me, and for years I'd never noticed this, but one of the great things about reading through the Bible, and by the way, one of the things I'd recommend to you, and uh, Years ago, Leroy Imes, who's written a number of books on discipleship, he's now with the Lord, but he was with the Navigators, and at the time had probably written more books on discipleship than anyone. He said, you know, if I were in a local ministry, I'd get everyone doing the same thing in their quiet time. And so uh, he introduced a, a Bible reading calendar that he picked up. It came from Australia, and we got permission to reprint it. Y'all may use it. I don't know, but... I read through that every year in my, I've done that probably for, I don't know, 40 years or so, read through the Bible every year in my quiet time. I know every morning exactly where to read. And so the thing I like about this is as I take notes on it, and if I ever want to see any notes I ever made on a certain date, Neil, my Bible reading calendar is in that uh, there. If you wouldn't mind bringing that up here. No, I think it's in the the deal with a bunch of other stuff, so just bring it and I'll find it. But the thing I like about this Bible reading calendar is uh, 
I know exactly every day where to read. Like this morning, in my quiet time, today is the 12th of February, right? I read uh, March. Let's go to March. <laughs> this morning, the reading was Exodus 29, verse 38 through chapter 30, verse 10. Then I read Psalms 78, 1 through 31, and I read Acts 7, 16 through 34. So I put the date. <clears throat> I'll just show you. But basically, it's very, it's very simple the way I operate. I have a notebook. And here started January the 1st, 2018. I wrote where I was, and on that day, I happened to be on a cruise. So I put where I was with the grandkids, you know. <laughs> they wanted me to pay for it. They wanted to go on a cruise, but of course. And then January 2nd, and every day I just skip a line and write where I was. I use a loose leaf. I like this, this size, if I ever want to pull anything out. January the 3rd, and so I go right on through every day. Some days I write very little. Maybe some days I write quite a bit. But then at the end of the year, I can just put 2018 and put it on a shelf. And so I can look back on any day, and like, for example, if I want to say anything God said to me for the last 40 years out of Exodus 20, it would have been on March the 1st, okay? Now, <clears throat> after I did that for a few years, I thought, well, you know, the big Old Testament's bigger than the New Testament, so if I'm reading two sections of the Old Testament, one of the New, I'm spending more time in the Old Testament than I do the New, and I didn't want to do that. So I thought, I'm going to read the... New Testament twice. So I read the two sections in the Old Testament, and then I read the day before and today in the New Testament each day. So two days in a row, I read the New Testament. Well, then I have a little more time now than most people in that I'm supposed to be retired. And so I decided I'll read the New Old Testament through twice a year. And so I did that. And I read the New Testament three times. So I read two days before, the day before, and today in the New Testament. And then about two years ago, I started, I want to read the, more in the New Testament. So I read the Old Testament the day before in each section. And then four days before, three days before, two days before, and the day before. So that's what I do every morning in my quiet time. It, it doesn't take a lot of time, but I love it. And see, I can always look back and see any note. Not long ago, our son was here, and they thought, well, you know, in, what was it, in 1985, we went on this deal, and we were in Switzerland, and I thought, yeah, let me look back. And I looked back, and I didn't remember exact date, but I go back there, and I got a record of what we did and all that. So what I do in my quiet time, I write down notes, but I also write down any important events that I want to remember. So if you want to know what my life's been like for 40 years, Go get my notebooks and you can find out. Know where I was every day and basically what I did and what the Lord spoke to me. Now, it's not that you get a great thing every day, but see, now when I'm working with people, I want them to read the same thing. And if they'll read, and if it's a new Christian, maybe just read the New Testament section. And then when we get together, he's been reading this, I've been reading it, so we can talk about it and I can share with him, and we got something to share. My wife and I do the same thing. She reads the same portion every morning. Now, she doesn't read the four days before and three, you know, that sort of thing. But she reads the three sections, and I do that. We have a quiet time, and a lot of times I'll come in for breakfast, and she'll say, hey, hon, did you notice this? And I'd say, no, I didn't notice that. But did you notice this? And we have fellowship around the Word. And see, that's one of the things you can do with your people, okay? And so that's what I've been doing, and it's very simple. I get up in the morning, I know exactly where I'm going. I don't see sometimes you just go back and read your favorite spots. And if God has something to say to me out of Hosea 6 this year, I don't want to miss it, okay? So that thing of a keeping a sweeping reading through the scriptures. Now the reason I got into all this was I, I, for years I hadn't noticed when Jesus fed the 5,000. But you know when he fed the 5,000? It was immediately after John had been beheaded. 
And you read the context, and right before that, John has been beheaded. And Jesus is on his way to the mountain to pray. I think he wanted to be alone with his father. Because here his forerunner, John, had just been killed, and Jesus knew it wasn't long until his time was coming. And he was on his way to the mountains when all the multitude began to follow him. And he stopped and fed the 5,000. And then along about dark or evening, said he went up into the mountain. And then Matthew 14 records this, Matthew 14, 23. He went up in the mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. He had told the disciples to get in a boat and go to the other side. Well, you remember what happened. They got in a storm. And it said uh, in Matthew 14, 25, in the fourth watch of the night, that's between 3 and 6 a.m. in the morning, Jesus came walking on the sea. He had gone up in the mountain to pray, and I think that's what he had been doing until sometime after 3 o'clock in the morning. <clears throat> but that thing of reading through the scriptures, you know, time and time again, then these stories begin to tie together. And you see how they begin to fit. And so I would encourage you, read, <clears throat> read the Bible. <clears throat> read, read. And by the way, if you've never, <clears throat> sometime you just had some time and just sat down and read Galatians, Ephesians, and Philippians, and Colossians at one sitting, you've really missed something. And I remember when I first started reading the Bible in college, and I'd read it, and I'd read over in Galatians, and I'd be reading something, and I'd get over in class, and i said, oh, yeah, there's a verse back over here that said something like that. And it, the Bible, so just spend as much time as you can reading the Bible, okay? Now, back to wherever we were. You know the old idea, it's okay to ch chase a rabbit, and you just remember what bush you jumped him out from under. <laughs> so you can go back to where you were. We were talking about <clears throat> Jesus was headed to the mountain, when he fed the 5,000. Now, it's interesting what he did with the disciples. He taught the disciples to serve. You remember when he fed the 5,000? He said, Jesus, don't send them away. You know, it's late. And, uh, you know, on two different times. One time he fed the 4,000. And it's really interesting. When he fed them, you know, there's a little boy that had some loaves and fishes. And so Jesus said, well, what do you have? And they said, well, this little boy's got these little, we'll go get them and bring them here. So he did that. And he said, now, guys, get them setting downs in groups of about 50. And then he would break the bread and the fish, and they'd pass it out. So those disciples had to go do the serving. And then after they got through, they had to pick up what was left over. Now, when he fed the 5,000, how many baskets did they pick up? They picked up 12 baskets full. You know, when they fed the 4,000, how many baskets did they pick up? Well, they fed, picked up seven baskets full. And then one day they get in a boat, and they go to the other side, and Jesus said, beware the leaven of the Pharisees. And they said, oh, we forgot to bring bread. And Mark 6.52 said, they had not gained any insight from the incidents of the loaves because their heart was hardened. I mean, they hadn't figured it out. Bread's no problem with God. He wasn't talking to them about bread. He was talking to them about the teachings of the Pharisees that you had to watch out for. So anyway, Jesus taught that these, I mean, when you have to get 5,000 people and go around and pick up all the stuff, Jesus was teaching them to be servants. <clears throat> and then they got so busy with people coming and going. Jesus, wherever he went, People will come heal this one and bring this one out. And, you know, one time he's in a house and, and uh, all these people are around him. And these friends, these four friends have a paralyzed guy. And they know if they can get him in the presence of Jesus, Jesus can heal him. But, man, they can't even get in the house. So they go up the back stairs or some way and get up on top of the house and start tearing the roof down and let him down in the presence of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he healed the man. I mean, he was so, so busy, and they were so busy that one time he said to them, come apart for a while and rest a while. They had no leisure so much as to eat. I mean, you talk about serving. They were busy, busy people. So 
Sometimes in our serving, we have to withdraw. You know, I, recently Billy Graham died, and last week was a, was a great time for me just to pray because I knew the gospel was getting out in America in a way it hadn't in a lot of times. As, as so many people were talking about the death of Billy Graham, they were showing snippets of his ministry and messages and things. And I just thought it's a great time that a lot of people will hear the gospel. And, you know, I'd read sometime Billy Graham, he's busy in a crusade in Japan or somewhere. And then you'd read that he's in Hawaii and his wife had joined him and they're down there relaxing. And one of the things he said, Billy Graham said, he said, I tried to pattern my life after the life of Jesus. And you'd find it hit it hard at times and then pull back. There are times that you really hit it hard, but there's times that you need to pull back. You need to come back and rest a while. And that's the way you keep from burning out. You're not a machine. You're a person. And you can't go all the time full blast. And so sometimes you hit it hard. Like at the first of school, we didn't want our leadership to get very much sleep. You know, the first week or so, you really hit it. You really go after people. But then later, you pull back and rest a little, okay? So you've got to learn that in life. You hit it hard, but there's times that you pull back. So we want to be servants. Now, <clears throat> you know, Jesus was constantly bugged by the Pharisees. They were all, they thought they knew everything and they were going to straighten Jesus out. I mean, he had healed somebody on the Sabbath. Well, you don't do that. You know, they're going, they're going through the corn, uh, the, the fields and the, I guess wheat fields or something, and the disciples are hungry, so they get some grain and they're eating it. No, you can't do that on the Sabbath. And they really gave him a hard time. They were such legalists. Notice here about the Pharisees. The Pharisees and other hypocrites, they wanted to be served. The Bible says they liked respectful greetings in the marketplace. I mean, if you met one of the Pharisees at the marketplace, he loved for you to say, oh, Rabbi, how are you, or whatever. They love greetings. They love to be, they, they thought they were so important. They sought the chief seats in the synagogue. When you went to the synagogue, you better not get in one of the front seats because some Pharisee had probably asked you to move. You know, that's his seat. They wanted prominence. They sought, uh, they loved the place of honor at banquets. Remember Jesus said one time, when you go to a banquet, don't go sit at the head table. <clears throat> go sit at a lowly place. And then they may come and say, no, we want you at the head table. But you don't go sit at the head table because they may say, <clears throat> we don't want you here. You go take a lower seat and then you'll be embarrassed. Jesus was always saying, you take the lowly place. Don't take the place of prominence. And Jesus, <clears throat> that's where he lived. <clears throat> These people spoke, they posed as spiritual people. They wanted people to think they were real spiritual. Uh, they, they loved to make long prayers. You know, they'd pray and they wanted to see people pray. Even when they'd give, sometimes they'd have, a, have them blow a trumpet. So-and-so's going to give money to this. Look what he's done. And they'd blow a trumpet and want everybody to see. Jesus said, you already got your reward. You wanted to be seen a man? You were seen a man. That's the only reward you're getting. And so they always loved prominence. They wouldn't help their parents. They said, well, it's <clears throat> the word in, in one translation is carbon. That is, well, no, my, maybe my parents have needs, but I'm not going to help them because I gave that money to God. Now, we give money to God, but Sandra and I talked about when we got married. If our parents had a need, if they got old and really had a need, We'd give the last penny we had to them because we wanted to help take care of them if that was a need. And so we need to honor our parents. But they wouldn't. They'd say, oh, no, <clears throat> I'm not going to help them because I gave it to God. Now, they're probably lying about that, too. Some practical suggestions to be a blessing with your life. Okay? You know, serving helps to curb laziness. Now, there are a lot of these, and I know you want to read ahead, but we'll get to every one of them, I'll show you, okay? So stick with me. Serving helps to curb laziness. You know, we like ease, don't we? Boy, I do. I like comfort. I like ease. I, I like to take it easy. And uh, if you don't watch out, you can be lazy. 
Fact is, you can come to a conference like this and you can have a sit here and you can have a real desire to be a man or woman of God and never arrive. Proverbs 13, 4 says, The soul of the sluggard desires and has nothing, but it's the soul of the rich that will be made fat or be made prosperous. So you can have a great desire, but if you don't get with it, nothing happens. And, and like some of you, you think, well, you know, I think scripture memory is probably a good thing. I probably ought to do that. And someday you're planning to start. But if you don't watch out, you'll be kind of like, and you read in Proverbs 20, 15, <clears throat> this, the sluggard will not plow by reason of the coal, therefore he'll beg and harvest and have nothing. Circumstances aren't ideal. I'm going to wait for better circumstances. Well, quit waiting for better circumstances. If God speaks to you something about something, do it now. Okay? So, uh, serving helps you keep from being lazy. You see a need, try to meet it. Now, one of the things, I heard a man speak not long ago, and he was speaking to trying to, he was a Marine, and he had tremendous uh, success as a man, and he was speaking to a group of, of, at a graduation at a college, and he was trying to encourage people. He said, you want to be successful in life? Let me tell you, the first thing you do, make up your bed. You think, now you bring this guy to speak to college graduates, and that's the first thing you tell them is make up your bed? Well, yeah, because you see, that's a discipline. And one of the things you want to do, guys, is you want your room always to be presentable. And you want that with your home. Now, I don't mean that everything is always spick and span, and sometimes you have children and there's toys and things, but you want it to be so that any time a person knocks on your door, and maybe it's somebody you're witnessing to, you're trying to lead them to the Lord, and they come in your house, and man, it's a pile of junk. I remember a number of years ago, we took some guys, we were looking up, uh, took guys that were thinking about going out to campuses, and we went up through Wisconsin and Michigan, and we knew, uh, heard of a pastor up there, and we were supposed to, we were going to go to his home, and he had a, a church right across the street from Michigan State. So we got to his home that night, and I've never seen anything like it. If I described it to you, you'd think, well, you're lying. You're not really there. I mean, it looked like a tornado, an Oklahoma tornado had been through that house. I mean, it, I, I've, I mean, it was unbelievable. And over by the trash can, was up against the wall, and here was a light switch, and old milk cartons and things were piled on top of the trash can it was full and almost up to the light switch I'd never seen and this guy was a pastor right across the street from the campus and I looked at he had up on board how many had been there the Sunday before and it had been 21 and he had been up there for many years and so when we were there we were going to spend a night somewhere and one of the guys <clears throat> came to me and kind of eased off in the other room and he said Max we're not going to spend the night in this house, are we? And I said, no, sir, we aren't. <clears throat> so we were up there for several days. I was talking to the the director of missions there, and he, or a man that thought he ought to be director's mission, and he was a member of that church, and he had his doctor's degree, and he thought he'd have a place of prominence. I said, have you ever been in your pastor's home? He said, oh, I've never seen anything like it. I said, well, but you've never tried to help him with that? Well, no. Now, I'm, I'm a stranger from out of town. I didn't want to have to talk to him, but I thought somebody needs to help him. So the last day we were there, we went over to the union. I said, sir, I hate to have to be the one to do this, but nobody else has. I said, you know what I'd recommend you do? I said, no. I said, I'd recommend you resign. You've been up here for seven years. Nothing's happened. And let me tell you something. Nothing is going to happen. I said, if I was a member of your church and your wife was having a Bible study and I walked into your house one time, I would not hurt, want her coming to your Bible, wife's Bible study. I said, so what I'd recommend to you, he was from Oklahoma. I'd never met him, never heard of him till that trip. 
I said, you know what I'd recommend for you? You need to learn how to live. And you don't know how to do that. I'd recommend that you resign, move back to Oklahoma, get a job, move to Oklahoma City and get around Gene Warren, some guys who can help you know how to live. Because one of the things we're doing in a Christian life, we're trying to teach people how to live. And you don't know how to do that successfully. I hated to have to do that. But I felt somebody needed to. A few, a few months later, I got a call from him. He said, I resigned. I'm back in Oklahoma. I don't think he ever got the help that he needed. But he hadn't learned how to live. You want your home, your room presented so that anybody can come in at any time and you're not embarrassed because of your laziness. And you guys living together, and fellas, when you get married... It's so important that you help. And you guys living together, you know, you don't just go leave your stuff in the sink. I mean, wash it or put it in the dishwasher and learn how. One time when I was single, I was going to have a training program one summer in Dallas. And so uh, we began to pray for a place to have it. And to make a long story short, we found this house right by park, right where I wanted it. And we saw it for sale, so we contacted the lady, and we didn't have the money to buy it, but it was a big five-room house and bedroom house, and I wanted to have a training program that summer with a group of college students. And I'd never had a training program. I didn't know a lot what I was doing, but I thought, well, we're going to get these guys together, and we'll read the Bible and study and pray and read, you know. So we asked this lady, uh, would they consider renting it? And she said, oh, no, they wouldn't rent that house. So we kept praying that, God, if you wanted to have us, don't let it sell. So my friend I was living with would drive by there every day, and that house is still for sale. Week after week, it's still for sale. So one day, I, I said, I'm going to try again. So I called a real estate lady, and I said, is there any way they might consider renting that? She said, well, they said they wanted to sell it, but she said, I've been in real estate, I don't know, I don't remember how many years, she said, in Dallas, I've never had a better piece of property is right across from a beautiful little park with a lake and she said I can't believe it won't sell and my roommate looked at me and winked because we'd been praying it wouldn't <laughs> if God wants to have it so she said well I'll see so we got together with them and as this elderly couple and I explained to them what I wanted to do I wanted to have a group of guys there and immediately the guy said no no I'm not renting this house to a bunch of guys to tear up. I said, God, sir, they wouldn't tear it up. I said, one of the things we're going to train them to do is how to live. And let me tell you, you have a key to this house. You can come into this house any time you want to. If it's not in better condition than any t anything you would think if a woman lived there or a family or anybody else, if it's not in better shape, we will all move out. I will guarantee you that. And you can come in anytime you want to, even when we're at work. And so the lady listened to that, and she said, you know, I think I'd kind of like that. And he said, well, I'd like to meet your wife. And I said, I don't have one. He said, well, I'm not having a bunch of single guys live here. I said, sir, so I assured him what would happen. I said, we'll move out if we're not doing She said, you know, I'd kind of like my house to be used for something like that. So I had guys from... Seven guys from 10 different campuses, and we lived there, and we taught them how to make up their bed, and how to cook, and how to clean, and we never had to move out. And we'd even have them to come over sometime, and they just couldn't believe how we took care of that house. You want to learn how not to be lazy, okay? And you want to take care of things. So make up your bed. That's a good place to start. Now, at Walmart... I don't know if you have Walmarts here. Do you have Walmarts? Okay. Grocery stores are places. Sometime I've pulled up, and I, I look, and I say, oh, there's a parking plot. You start to pull in there, and there are two baskets in there. Somebody's so lazy. I remember when I was a kid, my brother worked at the grocery store before they had carts. And so when people bought their groceries, the people that worked there had to carry them to the cars. I mean, they didn't have to provide that cart for you. 
But people are so cotton-picking lazy, they won't put it where it goes. So I'm just, Sandra and I, we go to, we go to Walmart. Well, well, there's a card over there. Well, I can roll it in. I can put it where it goes. Hey, be a blessing with your life, okay? And so <clears throat> put things where they go. In public restrooms, take a few seconds and improve it. Did you know that a company that provides a restroom for you, they buy the towels, they buy, they didn't have to do that, and that's for your convenience. And you can, I've never been in a men's restroom, but in about 15 seconds, I can make it better than it was. I remember even, I was at First Southern Dale City for the evangelism conference. And I go in the men's restroom, and here are paper towels all over the floor. And you know who goes to evangelism conference? Preachers. <laughs> I thought, no reason. It's not hard to see why you're not discipling people. You're too lazy to pick up your paper towels. So I can pick up those paper towels and stuff them in there. You know, I go into a restroom not long ago, and I go in the little closet, and the wobbly seat is just like this. I mean, it's all over the place. I know what the problem is. The screws are loose. Yeah, but it's kind of dirty under there where the screws are. But I can reach in there and tighten that. I mean, they got soap and water. I can wash my hands afterwards. I've gone in some restrooms, and I mean, they're a mess. And I mean, 15, 30 seconds, I can help that restroom. You know? I can pick up the towels. I can wipe off the sink. I go to the health club or wherever it is. Guys, and you can do it. Learn to serve where nobody sees it. All right? So learn to, learn to help. Keep a clean car. When you get out of your car, look around. Is there anything in that car that doesn't belong there? Well, take it out. Keep your car clean. Don't use your trunk as a, to store junk. I remember Leroy Imes telling the story. One night, he and his wife had flown into Singapore somewhere. Long trip. They were tired. This young navigator picks them up, and they go out, get their suitcases, open the trunk to put their suitcases in, and it's full of junk. So he said, here we are bouncing across Singapore in a little car, and our suitcases are in our lap, and we're bouncing along. He said that wouldn't have happened when Dawson Trotman was alive because he taught his guys not to do that. Keep your car clean because all of a sudden you may get a call. You need to go pick someone up at the airport, and you don't have a bunch of junk in your car. It's just a discipline. But discipline carries over into other areas of life. Some of you can't have a quiet time. Well, one of the reasons you can't make up your bed. You've never learned discipline. And 1 Timothy 4, 7 says, Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Another thing, when you're under a half tank of gas in your car, fill it up. A number of years ago, we had an energy crunch in this country, and they started closing service stations at 5 o'clock. They didn't keep them open because they would sell out all the gas they were allowed, and so you couldn't get gas. And I said, you know, and I told the college students, I said, anytime you need to keep your, your car pretty full, of I usually have, anytime my car's under half a tank, I fill it up. Because I said, here it is now. Now, that's not as much of a problem now, but let's suppose sometime at 3 o'clock in the morning you get a call. Your mom and dad have been in a serious accident. You need to come immediately. They may not be alive when you get there and you go out and get in your car and you don't have much gas. And maybe you can find a service station, but you got to stop and do that even if it's open. So why don't you, it doesn't cost any more to keep it full than it does empty. I mean, it'll cost you one time, okay? So it's better to do that. And this way, if all of a sudden I get a call, I need to go somewhere, and you're in a hurry, I don't have to worry about where I got gas or not. 
You know, when I get back to the airport, I am not worried about where I'll have enough gas to drive from the airport home when I get in, okay? I mean, these are just things that will help you. <clears throat> you know, I've already mentioned it, but I want to stress it again. A conference like this, some of you have no idea. People just ask you to come, and they had to beg you several times, but you finally decided to come. And you got here, and you get blessed. But you know, months and months ago, probably, somebody had to schedule this conference. They had to call this place. They had to talk to them. They had to work out. Somebody had to get that bus. Usually, we found in Oklahoma, because it's spring break time, you don't wait a week before and get a bus. If you don't schedule that things months before, you can't get it. Somebody has to take care of that. Somebody has to plan the program. Untold hours have gone into this retreat for you to come and have an opportunity to get blessed. Because Bob Anderson's coming. If I don't say something, he will, okay? <laughs> I promise you, you will get blessed. You have no idea what it took. And I am grateful, Aaron, for you and Neil and all of you that are on the staff especially and other students have had a part in this. And so you need, to, you need to be grateful to people. Some of you, you're going to college and your parents are helping pay for it, right? You know, my wife was meeting the girl one time and she said, how are you going to college? She said, my dad's paying for it. Said, have you ever thanked your dad for paying your way to college? Well, I don't think I have. Well, the next time you go home, you give your dad a hug and you tell your dad how grateful you are. Some of you are here on scholarships. Somebody else made the money and gave it so you could go to school. Are you grateful for that? Do you thank those people? After a meeting, and this has already been stressed and I think you do a good job of that. After a meeting, straighten the chairs. Pick up the paper, the cups. Always try to leave it better than you found it. That's already been said. I stopped by tonight. A lady was cleaning the tables. And I just said to her, I want to thank you for serving us. She said, oh, I love my job. Now, here's a lady. I don't know her. But this may be the, mo the best job she's ever had, of cleaning up the tables after you leave. I hope when you leave those tables, all she has to do is wipe them off because I hope there's not a crumb on it. And let's learn to serve people and be grateful for the people that help us. You're eating in a, in a fast food restaurant, clean the table and chairs like you would if you knew Jesus was the next person that was sitting there. You know, sometimes in these fast food places, they come clean the tables, but they get real busy and here's a table over here, and it, you know, and you can clean it so they don't have to clean, come and clean up after you. Would you do that if you knew that Jesus was the next person who's going to sit at that table? So learn to do things. Always in mind, we want to be God conscious. God's always watching us, and we want to do things for His glory. <clears throat> I want to mention something else that's not written down. A number of years ago, and Bob Anderson reminded me of this because he said I never forgot it a couple of years or so ago. Took some guys on a retreat, and we went out to this little retreat center, and a pastor and his wife, we went to church on Sunday, and they invited us to go home. They already knew we were coming, and they said, you're going to be in our church Sunday, so come home and have dinner with us. And I guess there were about six or eight of us. So she cooked fried chicken. And man, the chicken was passed around and the guys helped themselves. And I looked over there when it got around to the pastor's wife. And you know what was left on the, the platter? A fried chicken, a wing, and a neck. I was never so embarrassed in my life. I couldn't wait till I got those guys back to the retreat center. I said, guys, do you like fried chicken? Oh, we love fried chicken. I said, yeah, I noticed that. I said, did you see what the pastor's wife who cooked that fried chicken 
had after you got all the chicken you wanted? No. Well, I did. There was a neck and a wing. I said, guys, let me tell you something. The rest of your life, don't you ever sit down to eat anywhere but what you count the number of people. If there are 10 people around that table, I don't care how much you like something, don't you take over one-tenth of it. Now, if later there's more, that's fine. But sometimes, uh, you know, something will come around and, boy, I really like fry. So there are eight of you and you take half of the mashed potatoes. Well, what are the rest of them going to eat? Well, whatever's left. Don't do that. I never sit down at a meal with a group of people, but what I look and see, if I take my portion, what would it be? Learn to be considerate. Bob Anderson said, I'll never forget that lesson. I tried to drive it home. <clears throat> when you stay as a guest in someone's home, now especially if you can and you're arriving, try, not, try to arrive at a time that's not bad for them. You might want to say, hey, will you pick me up? I'm coming in to see you. Will you pick me up at the airport at 4 in the morning? That's probably not best if you can arrange it otherwise. Try to be a good guest. Like in our home, we have two guest, guest rooms, and we love it because we, uh, we have a lot of our former students that now they have kids in school, and so we have a lot of guests. And you know what's so helpful? There's no telling how many times my wife has to make up beds. And sometimes somebody will say, hey, could we just take off the sheets and, and make up the bed for you? Well, sure, that'd be so helpful. So when you're in somebody's home, uh, try to clear the countertop. I mean, you know, you've been in the bathroom. Well, get the hair out of the sink. Clean it as best you can. See if there's ways you can help. Maybe you can strip the beds, take them to the laundry room. If you have clean sheets, I'd be glad to put them on for you. And so learn, learn how to be in people's home and be a blessing to people. <clears throat> Take care of your clothes and your personal items. Guys, when you get married, do not make it hard on your wives having to pick up after you. Well, when you were a kid, you know, you'd throw things around, your socks, and your mom would pick them up and put them in the dirty clothes. Well, guys, put your own dirty socks in the clothes. Now, maybe your wife will do the washing and things like that, but don't make it hard for her. You know, you want to be the kind of person it's a blessing to live with you. That it's not hard to live with you. Hang up your own clothes. Try to straighten things up. Don't make it hard on your wife. Serve your spiritual leaders, who, those who give their lives to serving you. Ask them if you can help serve them in some way. Maybe some of you guys and gals, maybe sometimes you know, Neil, but is there any way I could come over and help you? Uh, some of you, like... I'm thinking about Jeremy and, and Katie. They got two young babies. I mean, it is unbelievable how demanding it is when you have young children. Why don't some of you girls, maybe a couple of you think some Saturday night, why don't we offer to go babysit and let them have a night out? Think of ways you can serve people. I remember one time at the Glen, a guy saying, Boy, I sure would like to get time with Lauren Sani. And his leader said, you don't want to get time with Lauren Sani. He said, you know what Lauren Sani's doing this morning? No. He said, well, I just talked to him. He's cleaning out his garage. You could be over there helping him if you wanted to. So why don't you just ask him sometime if you want to get time with him? I know sometime you've got to clean your garage or do anything. Can, can I just come help you? and get time with them. You can get time with people if you'll ask. And sometimes the way you do that is maybe serving them. So I, I would suggest that you do that. Sometimes you could, you could really serve. You know, I know a lot of times vacuuming a house and things like that, some things just, you don't have time to do that. 
but you could, you could be a real blessing. So think about those people. These people, they raise their own support. You know what that means? I remember when Neil and Melinda came to USC. I remember talking to Neil. He had a good job offer, wasn't it? North Carolina, Neil? South Carolina. South Carolina. Missed it a little bit. He had an offer to South Carolina to go to a church where they would give him a good salary. He had money for operating in a good church. So he talks to Melinda. He said, we can go where there's a good salary or we can go to USC. And you know how much they'll pay us at USC? No, how much? Not one penny. Where do you want to go? And they decided to come to USC. And you're here tonight as a result of that. But these people raise their own support. That means that they don't have a salary. People have to give them. They have to trust God to be able to live. And they're doing that. You know why? They're doing it for you. And you can do something to help them. And so try to find ways in which you can be helpful. See if there are ways. There are times that you could do things that would be a blessing to them. Serve your parents. Help your mom clean. You know, some of you have parents that are not Christians. And you wonder, well, how can I witness to them? Well, serve them. You know, next time you go home and maybe mom's fixed a meal, and you say, Mom, why don't you and dad just go sit down and watch TV or something? Let me clean up the dishes. She'll probably drop over dead. <laughs> Are you still, you're growing up, and your dad had to fuss at you to get to mow your lawn. So you go home in the spring sometime, and you know the lawn needs to be mowed. You don't say one word. You just go get the lawnmower and mow the lawn. Learn to serve your parents and be grateful to them. See, serving and gratefulness are connected. People that aren't grateful don't serve. That shows something about your gratefulness. Thank your parents for, for what they've done to help, help you. Gratitude and serving go together. <clears throat> okay, we've said that. People who are not grateful do not look for opportunities to serve. You can always have a ministry in the lives of people if you're a servant. Okay? Some people, well, hang on, I have a ministry. Let me tell you, if you're a servant, you can always have a ministry. Always. Serving sometimes requires wisdom. Now, I, I, I wanted to say this because... <clears throat> I don't want you just that you feel like what I'm saying is always you're doing meaningful tasks. Like, for example, I'm an elder in our church. So after banquets and things, sometimes we, uh, my wife, you know, she'll get in the kitchen and try to help clean up. And sometimes I help with the tables. But there's a few times I've said to her, hon, we need to go home. That's what the deacons and others did. I've already spent four hours this week in elders meeting. And I have to be careful sometimes because, you know, like Neil, if he decided, well, I want to serve all the time, well, he can go find the church and he can always vacuum or do this and that. I'm not saying that. I'm saying we be servants. But in Acts 6-4, here were the Hellenistic Jews and they, their widows were not being served like they thought they should. And they came, and the, the apostles said, it is not best for us to serve tables, but we will give ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. And they elected some people to do that, and that's probably where deacons came from. You go do that. And so there's times that, I'm not saying you do menial stuff all the time. <clears throat> Sometimes you need to be wise. Like I know a lot of, a lot of BSUs and things, they're going on trips where they're going and serving with, you know, storm victims and things. And I, <clears throat> that's fine sometimes. But sometimes you need to come on a retreat like this where you're getting ministered to. So you understand what I'm saying? I want you to s see that it's, it's not because, yeah, you can always, like in my church, I could always find some things to do. But Dawson Trotman used to say, why should you do something 
that somebody else will do when you'll do something nobody else will do or can do. Okay? So sometimes you can meet with people spiritually and somebody else can vacuum. Now, sometimes you're not too good to vacuum, but you don't give all of your time to that. I didn't want to leave a false impression. And the Bible says, He that is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much. He that is unjust in a very little thing is unjust in much. Little things are important. <clears throat> if a person is not faithful in a little thing, he's not going to be faithful in much. You know, when Bill Clinton was, was president <clears throat> and he lied about his relationship with Mona Lewinsky, and people think, well, yeah, but I'd vote for him for president. Well, I wouldn't. If he lied to his wife, you don't think he'd lie to you? That he doesn't even know? And when people are unfaithful in a little thing, you think they're going to be faithful in great things? I don't think so. And then he goes on to say, if you've not been faithful with the use of unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? Now, right now, you have little money, a lot of you. But if you're not faithful with that, why do you think God would want to give you wealth? Because the more wealth you get, you're just going to spend it on yourself. So if you can't handle, learn to handle when you don't have much, why would God want to give you more? And if you're not faithful in the little things, who's going to give you that which is more important? Okay? Flip the page. And we will finish before the night's over. <clears throat> Matthew 20, 26 and 27, Jesus said to the disciples, when he saw the way those that were in authority lorded over other people. And see, that's what we see in so many nations. A person gets in control. He gets to be king or something. He is a big deal and everybody has to serve him. And Jesus said, it's not that way among you. Whoever wishes to be great among you will be your servant. Whoever wishes to be first among you will be your slave, will be your bond slave. Okay? So if you want to be great, you be a servant. You serve people. I want to mention some just biblical illustrations of this. And I memorized this years ago because it just amazed me. One day David was <clears throat> there, and here's the enemy over here, the Assyrians. And so one evening or sometime David just said, oh, if I just had a drink from the water, the well of Bethlehem. And these three mighty men heard that. David would like a drink, but the well's on the other side of the enemy. And that, let me quote it for you. And David had a craving and said, Oh, that someone would give me water from the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. So the three mighty men broke through the, the camp of the Assyrians and drew water from the well of Bethlehem and took it and brought it to David. You know what David did with it? He was so amazed. I mean, here was just a, a leader, and he just had a thought. And this guy's, okay, he would like it. Let's go do it. And you know what David did that? He poured it out before the Lord. He said, should I drink the blood of the men who went in jeopardy of their lives? Therefore, he did not drink it, but he poured it out before the Lord. I mean, David was just stunned. Just the thought that he wanted to drink from that well, and the guy said, okay, David would like a drink, let's go get it. Well, the fact that you have to risk your life to get it, no big deal, let's get him a drink. And David was amazed, and he would not drink it. You know, that kind of a, you can, of a servant, you can see why they were the mighty men of David. Because, boy, David just had a wish, and they were all for it. You remember Joshua? <clears throat> As the Lord commanded Moses' his servant, so Moses commanded Joshua. And so Joshua did. All that the Lord had commanded Moses. So here was something God wanted Moses to do. Moses couldn't get it all done, so he said, Joshua, you go do this. Joshua did exactly what God had told him to do. Mo Joshua was a servant. You know who took over after Moses left? Joshua. Joshua had proven himself. He was a faithful servant. I love the story of Shamgar. 
you know, here was a man, Shamgar, and said, and Shamgar killed 600 of Philistines with an ox goad. And he too delivered Israel. Now here was a guy, all he had was a sharp pointed stick. But he got him 600 Philistines with that. He probably hit along a trail and he'd spare one of them and they'd go on and later, I don't know how he did it. But here was a guy, boy, Israel needs to be delivered, but what have I got to do? Well, I got a stick. Well, I'll use my pointed stick. No. Wow. And here's the story of Darkus. And they asked Jesus to come. And here's, here's this lady. She's died. And all the servants stand around. Other ladies say, look here at all these wonderful blankets and, and garments and things she made when she was alive. She was a servant. And she was doing what she could. <clears throat> you know, and Paul, I love the story of Paul. You know, he'd go through a, a place <clears throat> and he goes into... Antioch, and he starts preaching, and the Jews get all upset and drive him out. He goes on to Iconium, and there he starts preaching, and there again, the leaders of the city and the Jews drive him out, so he had to go on. So he goes on down to Lystra. Well, when he gets down there, you know what happened? The Jews in the cities he'd just left following, they come from Lystra, then they pick up some more in Iconium and don't like Paul, and they get over to Lystra and they catch him. And then, you know what they did? They stoned him. They thought they'd killed him. And he got up and went back into Derby, and it said, I mean, into Lystra, and it said the next day they departed to Derby, preaching a gospel, and when they'd made many disciples, they came back to Derby and to Lystra and to Iconium, strengthening the souls of the disciples and encouraging them to cling to the Lord. So, I mean, here was a Paul. I mean, it, he knew it could cost him his life to serve those people. But here were these baby Christians he had had to leave behind. And he goes through, and we're going to go serve them. Do you know that Paul went on three missionary journeys and two out of three of them? You know the reason? On the second journey in Acts 15, 36, and Paul said to Barnabas one day, let's go again and visit our brethren in every city where we've preached the word of the Lord and see how they do. Let's go back and follow up. And he'd go back and follow up, and then he'd go a little further. And then the second journey, you read about it in Acts 18, 1 and 2. Uh, after a period of time, he goes back. Let's go back and follow up. So Paul, in order to serve these people and help them walk with the Lord, would even risk his life. And you see this in 1 Thessalonians 3. He said one day, I chose to be left in Athens alone. Now, let me ask you this. Have you ever been in a foreign city by yourself? You've gone to some country, maybe you don't know the language in there, and you're by yourself. Boy, it's not much fun. I did that one time. I traveled five weeks in the Orient and four weeks over in Europe. I wanted to go visit missionaries. I wanted to see what, and I, I did it by myself. I don't recommend that. But one night I'm in, I'm in Hong Kong by myself. It comes time to eat. And so I walk down, I find a little side cafe, and I get me some cheese and crackers and go back up to my room. Now, if Neil had been with me, we'd have gone out and we'd have had a blast. We'd gone and found out a rent. We'd had a good time. Because it's fun when you got a buddy. But Paul said, I chose to be left in Athens alone. He said that in 1 Thessalonians 3.1. He said it in 1 Thessalonians 3.5. Cho we chose to be left in Athens alone, and I sent Timothy to find out about your faith for fear that the tempter may have been tempted you and our labor would be in vain. Now, why could he say our labor's in vain? These people are Christians. They're going to heaven when they died. But he knew, and he had told them in that, <clears throat> that in about chapter 2, 3, verse 14, somewhere along in there, that when he left, he said, you're going to suffer persecution. And that had happened. And he was afraid because of the persecution, they might leave the gospel that they'd embraced, and then the gospel wouldn't continue to spread. And so Paul said, I, I, I'll, be, I'll be left alone to send Timothy back to just check on you and help you. So he was always thinking, not of himself, but serving people. Have this attitude in yourself. And let me, let me mention another couple of references. 
Second Thess- uh, Second Corinthians 12, 14, and 15. Uh, <clears throat> Paul mentions, uh, I'm, I'm ready to come to you for the third time. And I desire not yours, but you. When I come, I'm not looking for what you'll give me. I'm not looking for your money and stuff. I desire not yours, but you. And he said, even though the more abundantly I serve you, the less I be loved. In other words, Paul said, you don't have to thank me and all that. But even though the more I serve you, even the less you love me, I'm going to keep on serving you. Isn't that amazing? And then we see in Acts 20, beginning in verse 22, Paul's on his way to Jerusalem, and people try to stop him and say, Paul, if you go into Jerusalem, you're going to really get in trouble. And Paul says, he already knew that. He said, in every city, the Holy Spirit has told me, bonds and afflictions abide me. In other words, Paul already knew that. Everywhere I go, bonds and afflictions are waiting for me. But he said, none of these things move me. In other words, that doesn't change me. I don't count my life dear unto myself so that I might finish my course with joy. Okay? And so Paul didn't quit serving and going and paying the price, even though it might cost him his life. Gang, I want you to be a blessing with your life. Now, I think you have at the bottom here my thoughts and applications, okay? I want you to take a few minutes and just before the Lord, what has God said to you? Is there anything along here that's kind of hit you? What are your thoughts or maybe some applications? You know, listening doesn't change you. Okay? It's when you do something about what you've heard. James 1.22 says, Be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. You can listen and think, Boy, this is doing me some good. Not unless you make application. So take a few minutes, and just before the Lord, think about your own life. What's God said to you, or what do you want to work on? And we're not in any giant hurry. Talk about well, we'll give you about six, seven minutes and just jot down what you may want to just pray and say, God, what do you want me to do as a result of what I've heard? Let me close with a verse and then pray with you. <clears throat> One day David and some men had gone out to battle and 300 of the men were absolutely worn out and they, <clears throat> some of the ones went on to the battle and they had to leave some baggage and some men stayed back with the baggage. Well, they went out to war, <clears throat> conquered the enemy and they got a lot of spoils from it. Uh, spoils of war, garments, I don't know, money, equipment, all kinds of stuff. And some of the men said, uh, when we get back where we left our baggage, those men that stayed and protected our baggage, let's don't give them any uh, of what we took. In 1 Samuel 30, verse 24, David said, And who will listen to you in this matter? As he that it goes down to the battle, so shall his portion be who stays by the baggage. They shall all share alike. And I would say this, you know, for people like Katie and Melinda, and a lot of times they, you know, as kids growing up, taking care of kids, cooking, the men out in ministry, you know, they're going to get the same reward as those people that are out in the battle. And I just think, like that lady tonight, when I said to her, thank you for serving, and I thought, now here's that lady 
this may be the best job she's ever had. She said, oh, it's my privilege to serve you people. Let me tell you, <clears throat> servants and those people that give to help the staff and some of you, when you graduate, you ought to give back to the ministry that's really helped you. And you will have a part in what God does in the future because of what you do. You can pray and you can give. Now, let me pray for you. <clears throat> Father, thank you for tonight. Father, I think none of us, all of us would agree, we're not the servants that we ought to be. We're not like Jesus as much as we should be. But Lord, we want to be servants. We want to be the people you want us to be. So God, would you change us to make us more and more like your son? <clears throat> Father, we'd like for it to be that when we died, <clears throat> there wouldn't have to be a whole lot of transportation, transformation take place because we've already become very much like Jesus. So Lord, thank you and make us aware and give us a wisdom to know when to serve and how to serve and when to refrain from it to do whatever you know is best. Because we prayed in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat>